Hi, friends, fellow evolvers and curious people everywhere. Welcome to this episode of Being with Sally Wilson. I'm Sally Wilson, and it's a massive pleasure for me today to have as my guest, Joanne Farkas. Welcome, Joe. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so now, listeners, not that many people in this world have had out-of-body experiences and fewer still are prepared to talk about and share their experience. And we're very fortunate to hear Jo uh, talk about what happened to her, what it was like and how it changed her. Um, jo is a kinesiologist and holistic counsellor. So I'm sure that it also informs Jo's work. But just to, to sort of backtrack and start at the beginning, Jo, mm -hmm. um, what happened when you had your... How would you describe it? Was it an out-of-body experience, a near-death experience? What what happened? All right, so we're straight in here. Straight in. <laughs> so I I was um, twenty years of age, and at that time of my life, I was I guess you're young. You're learning a lot about the world without a lot of experience to find your way through yeah. um, but I went on a holiday to Bali with my brother um, we were in Bali and we went parasailing down at um, I can't even remember the beach now and whilst I was parasailing um, what had happened was the boat basically got a little bit caught up the wind changed and before you knew it I kind of came down hit the water and within seconds was under the water. I had a rope wrapped around my neck. I was sort of being dragged along by the boat. Uh, yeah, and what happened in that moment was it all happened so fast. Mm. Um, but in the instant it happened, I it's a funny way of experiencing it. Left my body wasn't probably the accurate term I always felt that I expanded out of my body hmm. and I expanded out of my body so big the enormity of it was it was like I was everywhere and I remember the thought I had just before that I let I, I expanded out was well, this isn't such a bad way to die. <laughs> right. So you were able, you were still thinking, like there was still. I had a thought, right. this isn't such a bad way to die. And then instantly I was huge. I was consciousness. I was what I would call um, expanded is probably the only word. Mm. And I, I wrote about this. I'm sort of writing a book and have been over the last few years and I wrote about this kind of meeting with what I would term or what the only way I was able to describe it was Christ consciousness. And it's, it's an interesting term because I've had um, some, uh, you know, interesting conversations with philosophers and studiers of consciousness and, mm -hmm. you know, people who have said, why would you use that term? It's a very controversial term. And I, all I could say was because that's what it was. There is no other term. There's no other, there's no word that describes it, but in our 
language craft consciousness was the closest thing yeah. I could use to describe what I experienced. And it was like a, um, a meeting with a, an energy, a consciousness that was the most... I get a bit emotional because it's very... Yeah, and that's understandable completely. It was like in that moment, I was the only thing that existed in the world. And in that moment, this consciousness was there to completely and fully support me mm. in this whatever it was I was going through. Yeah. And before this happened, Joe, were you religious? So, no, I have no religious background. Um, yeah. You know, my parents uh, never even got me or had me baptised, which mm. is I'd never gone to church. Um, mm. I have no charge or no trigger around the word Christ consciousness. And I wonder if it's because I've not had a, a history or a journey in the church. I, I don't know. It just, um, yeah, so... For me, I always believed in something greater than me. I always believed that there was something out there. Yeah. Um, but I was young and I was very naive as to what that might be. And I had also had a very tumultuous childhood and a very, um, yeah, a very challenging um, adolescent. Uh, and I was trying to find my way and... I guess I, I had to believe in something. There must be something out there, but I, I was absolutely clueless as to what that might be. And when I was, you know, 20, I can honestly say I was not awake. I was not, I was very naive. Um, I was definitely living from a very ego and a very hurt and a very, what I might now call a bit of a victim mentality but always with a get back on the horse kind of an attitude yeah and when I had this experience I, I feel like from where I was at and my understanding of the world was so limited that this experience of being faced with something so uh uh, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, but I just remember it threw me into such turmoil mm. and I didn't, I, I didn't even know where to begin when the realisation hit and the, the journey of trying to put the pieces of what had happened back together. Mm. So, so when you... You had the the experience, and like you say, words can't. It sounds like you know it's the kind of experience words can't really describe. But that 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 feeling of expansion and the only being the only thing there was, and Christ consciousness, or or what was the other word you used? Um, a meeting with this this energy and this energy. consciousness that was. Yeah. So it was so unconditionally 
mm. loving and neutral and mm. aware and in that moment was fully supporting me. Yeah. Wow. What a feeling. Mm. Um, so at what moment did you think, oh, damn, I'm not going to die here. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to have to leave this. <laughs> um, what, what was that moment? What happened there? So I, I remember what had happened was I was, that moment was like time stood still. Mm. And you're just in this expanded state. And then it's like you hear this little knock at the door way back over there, like, you know, so far back there, but it grabs your attention. And what was happening was it was like my body and the survival systems and the survival mechanisms of the physical body mm. were trying to um tangle me and someone had come out on a jet ski and they had dived into the water and they were pulling me my body up out of the water and the moment my head came above water and I took that first breath my body went into terror and survival mode and it was like my expanded state was sucked back into my body mm. and the terror that hit me the survival mode, the, the will for the body to survive was so viscerally real mm. and the terror to, to go from such a state of profound love and connection and everything's going to mm. be okay to now absolute survival mode was such a shock. Mm. And at that point I was in shock. Yeah. And so there's, it's, I, I, I remember coming out of the water. I remember I was bleeding from the neck. I had rope burns around my neck. I remember being, you know, I don't remember being in any pain. I felt no pain in my body. I was just in shock. Mm. And I didn't feel pain until the next day. And I didn't, the shock was with me, at, you know, for the rest, uh, I was just in shock, I think, for the rest of the day. Mm. Mm. I, I have heard um, David Hawkins. I know you know of um, Dr. David R. Hawkins as well. And he speaks about a moment when he was a child where uh, he experienced what I think must have been the same thing. He was stuck in a snowdrift. He grew up in Wisconsin and he was doing the paper round, got stuck in a snowdrift and 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 felt i think um i believe what what you felt in that moment and the only thing that made him decide to come back because he didn't want to <laughs> was <laughs> the um just the knowledge of the pain that his father would feel so his mm -hmm. father i think was trying to deem out of the snowdrift and so it was just this, the awareness of of the pain that that would would be felt and 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 suffered if if he didn't if he chose come not back. to come back um and for, for you it sounds like it was just it was it was a, a physical survival imperative jolt yes absolutely i i i study david hawkins he has really helped me mm. to integrate my experience yeah. and it was it was actually it might have been 
um, it was either power versus force or transcending the levels of consciousness. And I, I remember reading about that and I, I remember it just made me feel like I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and so can you just, can you just repeat those books for, um, for the listeners again, just the names of the titles of those yeah. books? Yeah. Um, power versus force and transcending the levels of consciousness. And they have just been so instrumental in me reconciling and integrating my yeah. experience because you know it took me 10 years to really look at what had happened in that experience mm. and how it had affected my life it, it, for a long time I think the shock and the, the enormity of the experience was so big mm. I couldn't process it so what did that sort of look and feel like that just just the, the trying to process what had happened what was the sense what were you going through um so for a long time i pushed the experience away um i think i just couldn't wrap my head around it mm. i had no, i didn't have the words i didn't have the language i didn't have anyone i could talk to about it to and i think the, you know for a long time you just think was what what was that you know to to believe in something greater than yourself and then to be faced with it is really quite there's a big jump there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know when your ego is really quite uh determined to sit in the driver's seat and mine was for a long time, um, it, it really doesn't want to look at things like that so, <laughs> too closely. So, yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand. And can you yeah. just describe um, in a nutshell what you mean by the ego for people who are listening? I, um, I really pull the ego apart because I, I sort of don't like the idea that the ego is painted as a, negative thing all the time yeah um i think of it as more of uh the butler in the house that <laughs> can either get a little bit out of control and have some distorted ideas and belief when soul is not in the building butler tends to take on a bit of a well i own this place and i'm in charge and it may it's very vulnerable to distorted um beliefs and fear um and I think when our heart opens and when our soul is present and really starts to uh, anchor into our heart, our soul calls in spirit, which are the archetypes and the energies. And when we start to, uh, when you read Power Versus Force and Transcending Levels of Consciousness and you start to understand the map of consciousness and when below the level of consciousness, we don't really have structure and stability. And above the level of consciousness, we have structure and we have stability. And we have what I call an internal scaffolding. And it's within that that we can hold our soul. Our soul can come into our heart, it can sit in our being, and it can call in spirits and archetypes and energies. And 
when soul is in the house and our ego starts to come more into alignment with soul and spirit, it can act as more of a loyal, a bit more of a loyal butler or a loyal mm. servant rather than the distorted one that kind of thinks it's running the show. So I see the ego as um, simply a, you know, something that can serve us to our highest good or something that can serve us or become quite distorted. Yeah. And I think my ego, which had been incredibly vulnerable and quite, quite you know, taken on a lot of fear mm. and it was, you know, the ego essentially in an unstructured, unboundaried system is quite chaotic and grasping for control and, you know, yeah. doing whatever it can to neutralise fear. Um, but when you have more presence and more awareness and you have your, I call it the creative divine potential, which is a common uh, term for that connection to the greater part of ourselves. Um, and our ego then comes into alignment with that. You get a more harmonious balance between soul, spirit, body, mm. mind, ego. They tend to work more in a harmonious union. Yeah, and and um, Dr. David Hawkins, who we've um, been mentioning, we've talked about his books and stuff. He he also um, talks about the fact that the ego is born of the survival imperative of our our you know will to live. And mm. and, and like you also, Joe, he he doesn't approach the ego. Um, as a lot of traditions do um, in terms of, he doesn't see it as an evil thing. It's not an evil no, thing. Um, that's right. And he sees it almost as a, well, he, he encourages people to see it almost as a, um, a little, a little animal, a little animal that's could <laughs> that's be trying a really, to survive. And, yeah, it yeah, could be a just, really loyal servant. But <laughs> Yeah. And just, just, you know, just, just comfort the animal. You can just stroke the yes, animal and say, Hey, yes. it's going to be okay. Don't worry. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's amazing. I really need to freshen up on my <laughs> David Hawkins because <laughs> yeah, that is he, so true. Yeah, 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 and and also that um, you know of the survival imperative, the the ego is very much it's very much tied in with that the need to get in order to survive, get food. You know, it's all about getting, <laughs> and from that you can sort of see where a lot of our um, our cultural sort of values have have actually stemmed from the sorts of values that um, don't necessarily make us happy, but um, but are kind of ego driven in that sense. I don't know if what I've just said makes any sense whatsoever. Well, it does to me though. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was David Hawkins that said the ego loves to create juice. Ah, and I yeah. thought this is so true. And it's because it's so vulnerable to fear. Mm. And it's very, you know, and so when, if you really do view the ego as something that needs to be, you know, actually brought into alignment to be looked after, cared for, um, like a small child, I often call it a three-year-old used car salesman selling you a story and you've bought it hook, line and sinker. Right. But anything that is in fear, when it, when people get into the story and the drama and they're gossip, gossip, chat, 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 and rah, 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 and they're, you know, going into these really strong opinions and beliefs, what they're creating is juice. 
and yeah. they're getting the juice. And what that juice does is it temporarily neutralizes fear. Yeah. And, and one of those, one of the things about that is that, you know, if there's something that we, that is, um, knocking us out of balance, whether it's, you know, desire or envy or jealousy yeah. or victim consciousness or whatever it is, what is the juice that we're getting out of it that prevents we us from letting that. it go? Oh, this is so <laughs> juicy. Let me tell you. <laughs> so Joe, tell us yep. a bit more about then the years of readjustment, trying to Mm. how did you so, trying to yeah process what had happened I think that underlying all of that is once you know you can't unknow mm. and I feel like that expansion was like jumping on a trampoline and jumping way too high and of course the ego was terrified at what it saw but the knowing the knowing you can't ignore and so I think it was 10 years it took me to really, first of all, go right into the ego and very practical, like the distorted belief systems and play that life out a little bit more. Um, but it, it was after my children were born and uh, I had a very turbulent marriage um, and my both my babies were premature and my daughter was very sick. And I just kept looking at my life thinking, this is not how it was meant to be. And, you know, I have given it everything I've got, but I started to realise that everything I had created, I had created from distorted belief systems, what other people thought I should do, mm. Uh, society, culture, family, everything. And I had this knowing, there was this knowing of something greater than me that I really needed to start turning toward and looking, which was the turning inward, because it really was sitting in my heart and I had closed my heart. And it was not until, funny enough, I was going through life just uh, fighting, uh, as David Hawkins would put it, from a place below the level of consciousness, which was all force. It was all effort. It was all, you know, um, constantly pushing, pushing and controlling. And... um, I landed in the ED department in 2015 and within three weeks was diagnosed with a life-threatening heart condition. And it absolutely brought my whole life and the pushing and the force and everything just stopped in that moment. Mm. And I didn't have a choice anymore I had to look I had to turn into my heart into that knowing and it has a way of making you stop (laughs) so within three weeks I had a diagnosis and my life was changed forever 
And I started on that journey of um, finally facing voluntarily the consciousness that I feel I faced involuntarily. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Joe, so, Joe, yeah, yeah. So, for people who are listening who hear you say you turned inward, some of them will be thinking, what does that even mean? How do you even do that? Mm. Can you give them an idea? Yeah, I think I I had a moment after I got my heart condition and I my ego had been telling me this is how we do it. This is this is this is control power, you know. And I just kind of remember facing off with it one day thinking um, if you had any idea what you were doing, you wouldn't be in this mess. Mm. And I remember um, I had I had to implement some discipline on the mind, mm. which was I am not doing this anymore. Yeah. I'm not running this story. I'm not paying attention to the stories. But and this is this is a hard one to talk about and I'm going to thank my partner for his support and how he uh, really listened to me when I tried to explain this. When I got my heart condition, uh, I was unable to work anymore and financially we were already being crushed and it was literally the breaking point and I was losing everything, my home, my investment properties, everything. And when you lose so much, your health, your home, and I lost my husband as well. That, so it was everything that I had created from my ego. Uh, I was called to get on a plane and go to Brazil and just find myself, learn how to turn inward. And I shared with a friend that I was going to do this journey and she became very angry at me because she had lost a friend who had my condition. Mm. And her fear was rage. How could you? How dare you? You are so selfish. And it was what I would call the straw that broke the camel's back. And it brought me to my knees in a way that my ego that had been so sure of itself and had created such a monstrous fear mm. had been absolutely crushed in that moment. And I remember it, I know this will sound absolutely crazy, but my ego and everything that it had feared, it was so convinced by its own creation that it literally consumed itself. And in that moment that I was crushed and my ego was devoured, I became the very fabric of the universe. And I experienced this incredible, unconditional love. And it was a reminder that, you know, in that moment, I wasn't thinking but I have the memory of what that felt like. And it was a reminder of that connection to that consciousness. It yeah. was like, don't you forget it. 
it's 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 available to us and so i got on the plane and gone to this retreat with what i would call the completely deflated diminished ego which was exactly where i needed to be to do the work mm. because all of a sudden i could tune into my body into my heart into uh where I was storing all of my stories and trauma and pain in my body. Now, I've since learned you can still tune into your body, whether your ego is chatting away or not. You can, like you said, treat it like a little animal. I tend to treat it like a toddler. I, I, I see what you're trying to do right now, <laughs> but we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> and it's also kind of... Um just recognizing that it's humming away and not feeling like you have to identify with it right it's mm. like i get it i see what you're trying to sell me mm. but i'm not buying it today yeah and like i said if, if whenever i ask my clients you know where do you feel where do you feel your feelings do you feel them here in your head or do you feel them here in your body nobody ever says oh i feel my feelings in my head Everybody says, oh, no, I feel them here in my heart or here in my solar plexus. So when we really try to tune into the feeling, where do you feel that in your body? Is that feeling familiar? When have you felt that before? So when we feel into our body and uh, we can use critical thinking, our ego can become our ally and we can use that critical thinking to pull it apart. But when you really start to feel into the body, that's when you really start to turn in. And, you know, Marion Woodman is another really beautiful analyst. She's a Jung analyst. And she, you know, really advocates for the body-based work. So we can talk and we can talk till the cows come home, but it's when we work with the body and we find where we're, holding and those blocks in the body. And so having uh, some form of body-based work, some, you know, I've worked with some incredible practitioners all around the world and the ones that really find the block and bring it out of the body are the ones that are hands-on working with the body. And, you know, my body's shook and I've, you know, shaken and trembled and, purged and <laughs> it's not pretty mm. and the problem is is because body based work is not pretty because nobody wants to be shaking or feeling uncomfortable you know we live in a world where just take this and feel comfortable again yeah so when you get into the body you you, you really got to feel it and it's not pretty but you know what what comes out or what grows in the end, which is that awareness of the heart, that heart opening, that creative divine potential that springs to life in your being, uh, kind of makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so, 
you've you've actually answered this question in a lot of ways, but <laughs> how has since you since you did go to Brazil, you went to Brazil and you well actually before you you went things were already in motion and and yes, you were kind absolutely. of you know um, beyond that sort of ego chatter or where you know it, it deflated. Um, how did your life change after that or, or your approach to your life? How did it change after that? Well, yeah, that was interesting. I came back to Australia. Um, I did have a heart procedure to, um, to fix, cure, uh, treat the VT. Um, so I realised that everything I had created in my life from fear so what happened was everything I had created from fear dismantled. So my marriage, and I, I say that, I don't say that lightly. I hadn't created my marriage from fear, but certainly I had been in a victim and a distorted ego state. And I could see how my partner and I, um, and, and I do really care for him, I really do, um, but we were projecting a lot on each other and mm. that's the distortion. Mm. And there was a lot of expectation on him and that was a distortion as well. So mm. I say that lightly um, and with respect to him because he went on a huge journey as well. Um, but everything I had created from distorted belief systems and fear dismantled, which meant my marriage, my home, my investment, everything, my finances and my business, Mm. And everything that aligned with me in my truth, in my authenticity, was recreated and rebuilt. So that included my relationship with my children. That included my business, relationships with friends and family. And so the life that was put back together whilst ex polar opposite to the life I had before you know I sit here now and it, it was a huge journey and yet I sit here going this this is me this the way that I operate my business the clientele that I work with my relationship with my partner now it feels and I know in my heart a lot more authentic it is more in alignment with the truth of who I am. I get to be me. I don't, I, I'd like to think I don't project. I'm sure I do and I'm sure that I'll get, but, you know, I, I find myself um, really showing up in the world a lot more accountable and a lot more responsible for what I create, for the challenges that come my way. And I just feel that the person that I am, you know, prior to this experience, the person that I thought I'd be and the person that I was, was worlds apart. And mm. I think that is a real source of suffering, loneliness, isolation, separation. Mm. And I feel that the person I am and the, the, the person I thought I'd be is a lot closer and a lot more connected and a lot more in union. Mm. And so, Joe, for people who are listening, who so so you had 
major wake up calls. You had kind mm. of hit yourself, hit hit on the head. Th- you can't you, things you can't ignore happen to you. Yes. <laughs> For people who are listening who who haven't had those sorts of wake up experiences, but are thinking, well, how do, where I? do I start? How how do I how do I move in that direction? Because it it sort of feels like I need to move in that direction. I don't feel like mm. uh, my life is really like I'm really living my life. Like there me, might be that it? gap. There's that yeah. gap. Yeah. So how would you, what would um, you say to those people? I would, you know, I often say um, talk to someone, but get into some body-based work. Go look in the body. Find out what's in the body. Look at areas of your life where, you know, where you thought you'd be and where you are and try to look at what are the blocks that are Mm. stopping those two things from starting to come and edge toward each other? Mm. And you'll often find them in the body. But you're absolutely right with David Hawkins and reading those books Mm. because, um, and this is where our, our ego and our mental critical thinking can actually be quite the um, the loyal, supportive helper is that, you know, we can get access to that information and we can read these books and it can really help us to think more critically. And I often, when I start with clients, the first thing I'll say to them is we need to start viewing life as a bit more of a science experiment. We need to start observing, mm. uh, less reacting and more observing the reactions and just start stepping a little bit behind, a little bit behind, a little bit back, a little bit back and just try and broaden the view. So when you start to observe and listen Mm. and really listen and you start to uh, work your way into the body and look, you know, you've got to trust that thing bigger than you will deliver what you're looking for yeah thank you joe and as you said earlier it's available to us it's just Mm -hmm. that we've got a hot it's and it's right it's right there i i just read a book um by swami muktananda or reread a book you know the mystery of the mind Mm -hmm. and he said you know he said thinking that we're without he uses the word God, and I know that that doesn't resonate with everyone, but he said thinking that we're without God is like a fish thinking that it's never seen water. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, some people might want to say consciousness instead of God or, you know, whatever it is that's bigger mm-hmm. than you. Um, but that that really struck me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. It's yeah. available to all of us. Yep. Like the water's available to the fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't actually live without it. <laughs> That's exactly true. <laughs> you just can't recognize it because it's so close and it's in it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Joe, thank you so much for your generosity and sharing. You know, s- such a personal experience. Um, I, for one, really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners will as well so thank you thank you that was yeah that was really uh this is the first time I've really spoke well the first time I've spoken about it publicly it's taken a long time to get here right 
Yeah. Mm. Well, and you know, and it is, as I said, it is a very personal experience that you wouldn't necessarily expect anyone to speak about publicly, but I know that your having shared your story will, um, will help some people who will be listening to this. I really, that's, that's my heartfelt wish for today. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Thank, thank you, you so much. And, and listeners, thank you for joining us today as well. And if there's somebody who you think would really like to listen to this episode, you can share this specific episode with them. You can also um, give us a review or a comment. Um, we love that. You can connect with us on social media as well. Uh, that's Instagram and Facebook at I am Sally Wilson. And that way you have the opportunity to meet some of our upcoming guests and, and post your questions for them. But thank you once again, Joanne Farkas. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you. Uh, isn't she gorgeous? <laughs> Listeners, if you could see her, you'd just see this beautiful face smiling back at you. I'm sorry you don't get to see her over the screen like I do. Joe's, Joe's in, in Western Australia and I'm in Victoria, so we're, we're smiling at each other across, you know, time and space here. <laughs> Fellow travellers. Yeah. <laughs> But listeners, thank you for joining us and being a part of, of this wonderful community. And I look forward to meeting with you over the waves next time.